As was mentioned uh, during the announcement time, I'm really hoping that um, many of you will take the opportunity to go see the showing of the 13th. Uh, I got a chance to see it at home uh, myself a while back, and uh, it's one of those where after you watch, you just kind of just sit there for, for a bit um, just to think through the ramifications. So I want to encourage as many of you as possible to, to attend um, in the fellowship hall right next door. Uh, if you're new or newer to our church and you ask, uh, why, why, are we, why, why do we do stuff like that at New Community? Why do we show film on mass incarceration? And why do we talk about these various issues? And maybe some of us typically and talk about growing up in church. It's actually tied to our, our series on spiritual gifts. I'll tell you why. And, and, and the way that I'm illustrating every week. I've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, but I need to do this. We've been saying this every week, and you need to understand this if you understand, if you don't understand sort of why we as a church community do what we do. To understand our world, to understand ourselves, to understand our world, we begin from this perspective of understanding that when God created humanity, he created humanity to live in a particular relationship with him, that is him with our king, and that we would live under his rule and reign, and the result that it would be shalom, wholeness, flourishing in every way. And God gave us a choice. He said, you could live in that dynamic of under my rule and reign and enjoy shalom, or you could choose your own way, and man chose his own way. And the moment that that faithful decision happened, not just one, not just two, not just three, but four things happened. And you need to understand this to understand the cross and to understand the ministry of Jesus. The first thing that happened, of course, was spiritual disintegration or spiritual alienation. That is our relationship with God. Life giving relationship with God is cut off. We are no longer relate to God, no longer relate to God the way we were created to. Genesis 3, the first thing man does when God enters is after sin, he hides. So you need to understand in Colossians 1, the Bible says we are created by him and for him. That is, we're created to live in a relationship which we would center on God and center our lives on his glory. But you and I, because of sin, choose not to center on God or live for God's glory. We live for our own glory and we center on ourselves. The result of that is disintegration. The result of that is that we're cut off from God. But that's the only thing that happened, right? Spiritual alienation is the only thing that happened. Now, I know for some of us that grew up in church, it's as if that's the only thing that happened on the cross. But you and I know better. Genesis 3, when we are cut off from God and we no longer know who God is, the result of that, secondly, is that we don't know who we are. Psychological alienation. I'm going to tell you right now, the question that humanity asks all the time, who am I, what am I here for, what's my purpose on earth? You can never answer that apart from a knowledge of who your creator is. The moment we no longer knew God, we don't know who we are. We're created to find identity, significance, and worth in God. You reject God, then you will look to other things to find significance, identity, and worth. And you and I both know you and I know that finding our identity, significance, and worth in other things of this world, job, career, children, money, it's empty. It doesn't satisfy our hunger pangs. It doesn't because we weren't created to. But that's not the only thing that happens. Psychological alienation then leads to social alienation. We don't just hide from God. We hide from each other. Once in an environment of transparency and vulnerability, men and women now have to cover themselves. I don't want you to so, I, I don't want you to see who I really am. I can't tell you what I'm really like, because if I show you, you might judge me and you might reject me. So we hide. 
James chapter 4 says, why is there war and fighting among you? Is it not the passions that war within? Genesis 3 is followed by murder, wars, oppression, injustice, social alienation. That's not the only thing that happened, though. The final is physical alienation. We're created to have dominion over all the earth, and God says, now ground will be your enemy. The earth will be. You will toil all the days of your life. So enters into the world. Sickness, death, decay. All of these things is a chain reaction that occurred. So when you try and narrow down the gospel to Jesus Christ died for your sins so you can go to heaven, this world will not make sense. The work of Christ will not make sense. What is the work of Jesus? Do you remember? And this is where the explosive, mind-boggling truth comes into play. Jesus says about himself, his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. And here's the thing. If you've never heard that term, kingdom of God, here's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the, can you go back to the circle, is the restoration and healing of every facet of creation when it comes under his rule and reign. Is that good news? Is that good news? The kingdom of God is the healing and restoration of all of those things when it comes under his rule. That's what he lived for. That's what he died for. And that's what he rose for. His entire ministry was not just to forgive you of your sins, but to bring healing and restoration in the spiritual, psychological, social, and physical elements all of creation. So that Paul picks up on this theme in Colossians 1.19. He says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile in himself all things in heaven and on earth by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The kingdom of God is the power of Christ so that when you put any of those areas under his kingship and lordship, there is healing. Until he returns, that healing is partial, but substantial. When he returns, it'll be complete. Now, Peter, what does this have anything to do with spiritual gifts? I'll tell you exactly what it is with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is kingdom powers that Christ has deposited in those who follow him as Lord. He has actually deposited a part of his ministry ability, and this is what we've been talking about for four weeks, so we're catching up real quick. Part of his ministry power in every single person who calls Jesus Lord and follows him in such a way that God uses you and me to bring some healing and restoration in the spiritual, psychological, social, physical dimensions of creation. Spiritual gifts. Ministry powers. Christ has deposited in you and me in such a way that God uses us in someone's life, in a community, in a family, in a neighborhood to bring restoration and healing. Is that good news to anybody? Is that my, it's mind-boggling truth to me. See, some of us grew up, spiritual gifts is what you do in church. It's, what, it's important for the church. I don't want to minimize that. But spiritual gifts, hello, is for the kingdom of God. It's for the kingdom work. That means spiritual gifts is deposited in you so that when you walk out of these doors, it's for the streets of Chicago. It's for your city. It's for your home. It's for your workplace. It's for your neighborhood. It's in every facet of creation. That's what spiritual gifts are for. Just think about that for a second. We are not only sent on mission, 
which we talk about all the time at this church, but we are equipped for that mission through spiritual gifts, kingdom powers, ministry ability of Christ, some part of his ministry ability, so that Jesus could preach in Chicago. Jesus could work with the poor. Jesus could work for justice. Jesus could do all those things. Why? Because we're here. Spiritual gifts. Don't you want to know what yours are? I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Cece, I'm going to talk to you. Do you, would you like to know what your spiritual gifts are? Yes. Okay, we'll get to that at the very end. So we're going to get very practical. We've got a lot of ground to cover from here on. The passage we've been parked at is Ephesians 4. So turn your Bibles with me. Ephesians 4. What I'm going to do this morning before I get to the various spiritual gifts, because this is week 4, and I need to like finish this sucker, Mara, or I'm going to go for like eight weeks. So I'm going to pack a lot of it in. But before I get to the various gifts, by the way, somebody told me, they're like, you know, New community will really love the spiritual, the sermon series spiritual gifts. Well, I said, why? Because I said, because you, you get to tell them they're special. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't tell you guys enough, right? And I said, I thought about it. I'm like, huh, I wonder, I wonder if the disconnect between why we are not more on mission for Christ has something to do with us not understanding this enormous thing this theology of the kingdom and theology of gifts. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is where we find ourselves. We're just going to run through some of these things. I'm going to lay some anchors that we've been talking about. And then I'll get to the gifts. And then at the very end, I'll talk about how you can discover your gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Everybody say calling. Oh. Calling you have received. You come to the new community, you're going to hear this over and over and over again. When you become a Christian, you are given a kingdom assignment, Amen. a vocation. We call that calling. You become a Christian, you have a job description for the kingdom. They go together. You don't get to choose. I want to be a Christian. I don't want to call. doesn't happen that way. You get, but here's the thing. I need you to understand this. Kingdom assignments don't always coincide with career advancement. Henry Blackaby. One of my favorite authors, Experiencing God. Kingdom assignments do not always coincide with career advancement. We follow the one, Philippians 2, who came from heaven to earth, left the praise of heaven, took on the form of a servant, went to the cross. We follow the one whose climax of his career was not when he got elected, but when he got what? Crucify. Some of y'all need to hear this and hear this clearly before I move on. Do not assume that your kingdom assignment will coincide with some sort of a promotion or your kingdom assignment is about faithfulness to your call. Verse 2, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I, I breeze by that because we talked for like two weeks on those things. So 
If you're new, you can go check out our podcast. Verse 7, this is where I want to park. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Remember these truths and anchors as we talk about your specific gifts. Each one, grace has been given. Grace, the word charismata, from which we get the word English word charismatic, charis gift, as Christ apportioned it. Here are the foundations and then we'll talk about specific gifts. Number one, be careful of the danger of gift cop-out. Be careful of the danger of gift cop-out. The Bible says over and over again to each one. So anybody that sits here and goes, I have nothing to offer, that's in complete contradiction to what Scripture says. Can I get an amen? Oh, I can't do anything. That's in complete contradiction to what Scripture has to say. Each one, every single one. The amazing, amazing passage that I've come to again and again for this insight, how we are uniquely gifted and uniquely empowered to do kingdom ministry is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 where Paul says, for we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Some of you know this. The word workmanship in Greek is what? The word poema from which we get the English word poem. Connotation is artwork or work of art. Any artists here? Any artists here? There are no artists in this room this morning. Okay. There's a handful of you. Okay. You artists know that a part of yourself goes into the art. Yes? Great artists, when you see a painting, a part of yourself goes, great musicians who write songs, part of yourself. Here's, here's, what, here's what this verse is saying. He's saying God, the ultimate artist, has poured a part of himself, hello, into you and created you uniquely. Take your experience, ethnicity, race, culture, background, education level. And here's the one thing that amazes me. Even our pain and our suffering. Is this good news to anybody that in the economy of God, even our pain and suffering is not wasted? That God takes all of those things that you and I go, I wish that happened. God takes all of those things and he says, the great artist pours himself into you in such a way. And this is the key. There are people that only you can reach because of who you are. There are things that only you can do because of who you are. I got this from Michael Emerson. He's one of our member, members. Uh, I walked into his office. I saw this painting. I'm like, I need that for my sermon. So I just took it off his wall. <laughs> Hugged down the street. No, no. Can you see what it is? I saw it immediately. When I saw it, I was like, yeah. Can you see what it is? It's a, mo- a mosaic of sorts. It's... Can you guys multitask? Because after I do this, will you pay attention to the sermon and I stare at this the whole time? Can you multitask? Okay. You go, what is that? It's Jesus. But there's two Portraits of Jesus. There is him on the cross, but there's also the head, the face of Christ. There is Jesus on the cross, and there's the, you see it? You see it? If you don't see it, you're going to stare at this the whole time and not pay attention, aren't you, right? The body. Do you know why this is so amazing to me? It just clicked for me. Because spiritual gifts in the context of the body, is much like a mosaic. What do I mean? You take a piece of the mosaic, and in and of itself, it doesn't make any sense. It's comprehensible. What, what is it? This. 
But you put all of it together, all the pieces of the mosaic together, and you have the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head. So that when we're all exercising our gifts, the invisible God is displayed through your life, through my life, to a watching world. We are the tangible, physical expression of Jesus. How will they know? Through our gifts. <laughs> it's an amazing truth to me. Everybody, can you come back now? Can you come back now? Okay, come back now. All right. Second thing. Don't confuse gifts with spiritual fruit. I need to spend a little bit more on this, and then I'm don't confuse spiritual. Remember we talked about this a little bit last week. It's grace that's been given. In other words, spiritual gifts is about grace gift, which means that unfortunately there is no correlation between spiritual giftedness and spiritual maturity. There is no giftedness between giftedness and maturity. That means someone could be incredibly spiritually gifted and yet be spiritually immature and emotionally unhealthy. You ever meet someone like that? Now, why is this important? I shared it with you last week. The danger of spiritual gifts, and this is a danger, is that some of us, our relationship with God is in the tanks. You're sitting right now, I'm here, and you and I know our relationship with God is nowhere where it needs to be. Our hearts are cold. You can't remember the last time you prayed, you read scripture. But the amazing thing is, you're in certain settings and your gifts operate. And you fool yourself into thinking that your relationship with God is where it needs to be. And I'm doing okay. It's like a flat tire. As long as that tire is continuing, you don't know it's flat. But the moment that you stop and stand still, and I said last week, are you someone sitting here right now and you know that you are not where you need to be with God? But you're doing nothing about that because you're fooling yourself and thinking, well, God's using me. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm All kinds of things and you think that you're back, but you're not. You're not back. The other thing that Paul does to me about why fruit is so important in exercise gifts, listen, every single passage on gifts in the New Testament always ends with the common theme. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 12, entire chapter on gifts. And then comes 1 Corinthians 13, which is a chapter on what? Do you remember? You ever been to weddings? Pastors love that chapter. It's on what? It's on love. By the way, if you ask me to officiate your wedding, I will not preach on that chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is on love. Then the other big passage on spiritual gifts, there's only five of them, is Romans chapter 12. But look how Romans chapter 12 ends after he talks about gifts. Devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Ephesians chapter 5, after this whole text, verse 2, walk in love as Christ also loved us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the, another passage, he ends this section by saying, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He is literally going out of his way to go. If you do not take seriously spiritual fruit and exercise of gifts, you're a danger to the body. Every single passage on gifts, he ends by saying it's about love. 
It's about love. It's about love. It's about love. It's about love. I'll tell you why. Two reasons real quick. Number one, spiritual gifts, hear me, is about serving others. It's not about you. It's not about you, Jesus. It's not your ego. It's not about your ego. It's not about your platform. It has nothing to do with you and me. It's about serving others. If you do not get this, do you know what's going to happen? Let me talk to leaders for a second. Let me talk to leaders for a second. Your character is the most important thing as a leader. Your character is the most important thing as a leader. Here's the thing. You do not need character to lead. Why? You don't need character to lead. Look at the state of our country. I'm not just talking about one person. Religious institutions, as well as political institutions, you do not need character to lead. But here's the thing. Character is what makes you a leader worth following. Hey. You do not need character to lead. And this is a dangerous thing about the church and ministry. And you do not need character to lead. But your character is what makes you a leader worth following. Are you hearing me? Some of you, young people, please listen. And you're going, you look pretty young too. I know, I'm kind of young, but you're younger than me. Let me teach you a lesson that I learned early. Here's this. When your giftedness outpaces your character, when your giftedness outpaces your character, or another way, if your gifts and talents take you further than your character could sustain it, result, implosion. Character. Love. The other reason why Paul says this, relationships are hard, y'all. Love is hard. Am I the only one? <laughs> Relations are hard. Love is hard. And here's the thing. Love is hard not because I'm surrounded by crazy, difficult people. Love is hard because of what's in here. Love is hard because I'm judgmental. Love is hard because I am critical. Love is hard because I'm envious. Love is hard because I'm prone to jealousy. Love is hard because of what's in here, not out there. Which is why Paul says, work on love. Don't confuse gifts with fruit. One more though, don't confuse gifts with talents. This is big. This is big, y'all. I got a lot of questions last week like, so are talents the same thing as gifts? I said, hold on one week. I'll talk about that next week. Here's what a talent is. Talent is, and I'm going to put it this way. Talent is God's way of blessing people at the creation level. Talent is God's way of blessing people at the creation level or natural level. What, is it, what do I mean? One of the ways that God beautifies and enriches this fallen, broken world that we live in is that out of common grace, as we call it, he deposits in people musical ability, artistic ability, communication ability, all kinds of abilities to enrich the world at the talent level. A gift, though, is something that God uses 
to edify someone spiritually so that they come more under his rule and reign and experience healing. So here's what I've seen. I've seen people that are incredibly talented and God never uses them. I've seen people who are incredibly talented and God does use those talents to edify. And then the best of them all, have you seen this? Some people are incredibly not talented at all. And God, what? Uses them powerfully. Like, what happened? Give an example. Two preachers who lived in the 19th century. Okay? Both were Baptists. Can't win them all. Anyway. You guys aren't Baptist church, are you? Okay. All right. <laughs> so here's, here's one guy was based out of Chicago. His name was D.L. Moody. Another guy was based out of London, England. His name was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. People say the greatest preacher of the 19th century. Let me tell you about him. He started preaching when he was 16 years old. Had no college education. When he spoke, people literally wept. Here's how powerful his preaching ministry was. You ready? When he died, 60,000 people came to see him. 100,000 people lined the streets of London for three days to mourn his death. They said he was so gifted, talented, that if he wasn't a preacher, he would have been the prime minister of England. Then you had Dale Moody. Apparently, he had poor grammar. By the way, I'm talking to a row of Moody students right here, in case you're wondering, why am I talking? Secondly, he apparently stuttered. Third, he also was not educated at all. But D.L. Moody would pack out 60,000-seat stadiums and preach, and thousands of people would respond to the gospel and give their lives to Jesus. One person, incredibly talented, and God used it as a gift. One person, not talented at all, but God used it to edify. It's up to the Holy Spirit. He blows where he blows. Don't confuse talents with gifts. The question is not the technical excellence of it, but it's does God use it. If you're a spiritually gifted teacher, you don't have to project your voice well. You don't have to. You speak and teach, and people are convicted. Gifts and talents. And lastly, Paul says, last anchor before we look at the gifts, as Christ apportioned it. And we talked about this briefly last week. Be careful of the danger of gift arrogance. Gift arrogance. And gift arrogance is not those of us walking around going, well, I am all that and then some. Gift arrogance looks like what in our church especially? It looks like this. Well, I'm passionate about that. I love doing that. I love, what about you? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing that? Don't you care? Are you a Christian? Gift arrogance fails to recognize that God distributes gifts all over the body and goes, I'm passionate about that. I care about that. And anyone else who doesn't is spiritually immature or doesn't love Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are you more disappointed that new community isn't more like Jesus? Or are you more disappointed that new community isn't more like you? Do you come sit and you go, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they care about this? Or do you go, look at all these people. Do you know that before you guys came here this morning, people woke up at the crack of dawn 
and they prepared everything. So all you had to do, there are people who get crackled on. Did you see those orange cones out on the street? People actually set those things up. Can you believe it? You know, just magically, <laughs> do you know that when you walk down the street to this beautiful, by the way, Chicago weather, somebody greeted you at the door. Then you walked a little bit, somebody gave you those paper thingies. They're called bulletins, by the way. Then you sat down and you sat in the people worship. There's someone working the projector right now. I know you don't even think about that, but they're projecting it so that you could, there's someone who controls the board so you could hear my voice. There are people right now who are taking care of little babies so you could sit here and worship. There are people who count money after you give, there are people who count after you give your offering. I could go on and on and on. When is the last time you sat here and said, God, I thank you for all of them, that they're unlike me? Don't be arrogant. Secondly, though, be careful of the danger of gift envy. Christ apportioned it. Can I just say something? We live in a culture of envy, yes? That's why this is so hard with spiritual gifts. Because we live in a culture of envy, and we live constantly going, well, I wish I had that family. I wish I had that job. I wish I had that. Uh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. And we, 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 we bring this mentality into the church, and we look around and go, well, if I'm not gifted like that, then God can't use me. Well, if I'm not gifted like that, then I don't want to do anything. And we realize it's not about what we want. It's about what we've been given. And by the way, let me just say something. Churches just exacerbate this problem because we elevate in the church what the world elevates, and we ignore in the church what the world doesn't think is important. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I need you to do something for me before you go. For four weeks, we've been saying, Dave and Amy, who served for seven years ministering to the homeless men and women of this community, seven years. And we've been saying for four weeks, can you write a thank you note card for them? I need you to do something for me. If you have not done so, write a card for them because I want us to be the church that says people who serve in those areas are elevated in this body. Can I get an amen? We want to be that church. But see, the reason why I struggle with gift of envy is this, and we talked about this all last fall. I struggle with embracing this concept called gift of limits. We talked about that all last fall. Gift of limits that God gives us, which says, I've given you a kingdom assignment, and I've wired you and gifted you a certain way, and you do that. Don't worry about other people, Peter. But gift of limits causes me to go, but I wish I was like that leader with that platform and do that thing. And I... I completely ignore what it is that God has gifted me to do, called me to do. And then my job is to do that kingdom assignment. The guy that's been a, a convicting person for me in this regard is John the Baptist. Do you remember his word? John the Baptist. We talked about this last fall. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. He's literally going, I can only do that which God calls me to do. I can only do that which my, has my kingdom assignment on it. And remember the context. This is a time in which everybody is going, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? He has hundreds, thousands of people flocking to him. And John has the audacity to say the following words. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. Say the following with me. Ready? I am not the Messiah. Moms, say it with me. Ready? I am not the Messiah. Teachers, say it with me. I am not the Messiah. I am not called to do everything. I am not called to meet every need. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. 
If you think you are, you're going to be gift envious and go, why don't I do that? Why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? When God says, your kingdom assignment with your name on it is what I've given you. Do that. See, some of us are so uncomfortable in our skin because we just can't embrace this gift of limits. And we're looking at going, what, him or her? And God's going, you are uniquely created by me. Do that. So what are the gifts? And how do we discover them? First and foremost, I've prepared a thorough list of all the gifts that the New Testament mentions. It's in a packet. It's in a packet. And when you walk out, there's going to be people at the doors in the back and people right there who will give you this packet. We worked extremely hard. That means I'm watching you. And if you walk out here without grabbing one, I will track you down and give you one. So please, before you go, this is old, and it's got thorough descriptions. That's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Thorough descriptions along with actually potential weaknesses of what the gifts are, along with Bible references. So please pick one up, put it in your Bible, and study it. It won't take you long. Study it so you have good knowledge of what these gifts are and what God intends them. But I'm going to just highlight a handful of them. There are five passages in the New Testament that list all the gifts. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, 1 Peter 4. And there's two things about this list I want to tell you before we kind of go through them all. One is that the list is illustrative and not exhaustive. That means that not every single spiritual gift that exists in all the world is listed in the New Testament. I think Paul's aim was to go, these are some of the gifts and some of the ways in which God uses the church to be kingdom missionaries. Okay? So there might be some gift. You're sitting there going, but what about this? What about this? Probably. What about this? What about that? It's illustrated. Now, secondly, they mirror the threefold ministry of Jesus. Remember? Prophet, priest, and king. That means that God has given you more than one or two gifts to be ministers of Christ, whether it be prophetic, priestly, or kingly. What are these gifts? Here we go. Real quick. One gift of exhortation. What is the gift of exhortation? Exhortation literally means para kaleo. Some people think gift of exhortation is someone who goes, do this! <laughs> like what I do? Just for record, I don't think I have the gift of exhortation. You know why? Because gift of exhortation is para, which means alongside kaleo call. Gift of exhortation is gift of encouragement. It's someone who's able to come along somebody, administer, and encourage them towards growth. That's what gift of exhortation is. Encouragement, by the way. There's an enormous difference between gift of encouragement or exhortation and flattery. Some of y'all got gift of flattery. You know what gift of flattery is? Gift of flattery is what you do to gain favor. Exhortation is what you do to give favor. Flatterers will exit your life the moment you no longer do what they want you to do. You may not have the gift of exhortation. It might be flattery. Check your spirit. Secondly, gift of teaching. It's the ability to communicate spiritual truth in such a way that people retain them. This is going to sound like common sense. If you have the gift of teaching, people actually remember what you say. People actually learn. You sit there going, that's common sense to me. 
Have you ever met someone who taught, thought they were a great teacher, and you're going, you're not a very good teacher, man. Anybody? Spiritual gift of teaching means that when you do it, spiritual fruit is born. People remember, people learn, people retain. Just like gift of exhortation, people are actually encouraged. Third, spiritual gift of prophecy. How many of y'all think you have the gift of prophecy? <laughs> I know, this is one of those that all over the group in church like, gift of prophecy. There are all kinds of misconceptions. Gift of prophecy to me is not someone who could tell the future. I don't think it's a gift of prophecy. Gift of prophecy is someone, that's why I say it's, it's not foretelling. Here's what's going to happen to you in the future. I've met some people like that in my life. And by the way, it's a good thing that prophets didn't function today like they did in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, if you're a prophet, if you said something was happening and it didn't happen, what happened to you? You were stoned to death. So, anyway, gift of prophecy is not foretelling, but it's foretelling. What do I mean? There are some people who God gives this divine ability. They speak truth, and you get convicted. I said, ah, it's what Nathan does to David. When Nathan says, you're the man. And David says. People who give the prophecy are able to speak truth in such a way that there's conviction, there's repentance, there's change. Next, gift of pastoring. Many of you, by the way, I think have this gift. It's literally shepherding. It's the ability to maintain responsibility for someone else's spiritual growth. If you're a gifted pastor, spiritual gift, it may not mean that you're a good exhorter, preacher, prophetic type, but you are incredibly gifted at bringing someone under your wings and shepherding them, nurturing them towards spiritual growth. I personally think it's my most strong gift, by the way. Anyway, I'm glad you laughed at that because it is funny. For those of you that are new, they're laughing because I am like, Anyway, you get the point. Okay, anyway. Evangelism. Evangelism. The ability to relate well to people outside the faith. A lot of you became Christians, and here's how it happened. Sometimes you ran into people who explained the Christian faith to you. You're like, what the heck are you talking about? Then someone with gift of evangelism comes, and they share the gospel, and you go, I actually get what you're saying. There's some people with gift of evangelism who have the ability to connect and relate to people outside the faith and to be able to present the gospel, not because you're eloquent or bright, but you present the way in such a way that they, that, that makes sense. You, you get me. You understand. I want to know you more. I want to get closer to you more. Gift of evangelism. Next. Gift of discernment. It's the ability to judge motives. Here's how you know you have the gift of discernment. You're discerning about your own self first. Remember I said last week, Everybody thinks they have the gift of discernment. I don't know what that is. See, see, everybody goes, I, I have the gift of discernment. I think it's because we think, we think that we're more self-aware than we actually are. If you're discerning, you're discerning about your own faults and weaknesses first. Judge motives. And then missionary. You know what a missionary is? Gift. All the things that I just talked about. Gift the missionary someone who could do all of that cross-culturally. Someone is a phenomenal teacher. They go to another culture, you're like, what happened to you? Someone is an incredible exhorter, you take them to another culture, you're like, what's going on, dude? What's up? But a gift of missionary, someone who has these gifts, and you tip them in any cross-cultural context, and boom, God uses them. Give me someone like that, gift of missionary. Okay, those are prophetic gifts. And then priestly gifts, giving, giving. I get here those all the time. It can't be me. I'm not very well off. How could I have the gift of giving? It's a gift of giving, not gift of earning. Thank you very much. 
okay? Gift of giving is someone who's able to spot very practical needs in people and be able to meet them out of a generous heart. Closely related is the next gift, gift of service. The diaconal gift. This is deacon, where we get that from. It's the ability, again, similarly to meet physical, material needs in a way that bears spiritual fruit. People with gift of service, like Dave and Amy, have this amazing innate ability to minister to people physically, tangibly, in such a way that people are spiritually blessed and edified. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for people with gift of giving, gift of service, and also next, gift of helps, gift of assistance. Some of you are born assistants. Embrace it. Some of you are born assistants. Embrace it. Embrace it. What do I mean? If you're someone with gift of helps, you are just like the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes, he'll not speak of himself. He will take what is mine and glorify me. A person with the gift of the Holy Spirit, gift, 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 gift of helps, is like the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is like the floodlight. You go to the Washington Monument at night, that sucker is, you go, how is that being lit? By floodlights. You don't see the floodlights. You see the monument. Someone with the gift of helps is someone who's able to come around other people. And they're able to assist in such a way that other people's gifts and abilities are magnified. Gift of helps. Next, gift of healing. This is ability to pray and intercede for people. And God uses them, man, to bring physical healing, emotional healing, psychological healing, and even social healing. It's an unbelievable, incredible, important gift that I believe is in, in, in existence today. And the gift of mercy. It's ability to love the unlovely and alleviate suffering. Gift of mercy is the type of people who work in nursing homes. And they're changing diapers. And not only do they feel fulfilled, but other people are blessed. Gift of mercy are people who could go into situations that are incredibly tough, incredible amount of suffering. And it's not that they don't get burned out. It's that God uses them. God uses them powerfully. Anybody, before I finish, thankful that God distributes diversity of gifts? Anybody thankful this morning? Come on, guys. This is, this is the beauty of the mosaic that is such... If you just realize, just even what I just said so far, you're just going, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I'm not good at that, I'm not good at that. Thank you, Jesus, that there are people all over this city, all over the world, who are given ministry powers that are nothing like mine, that are being used by you. And then lastly, kingly gifts. There's leadership. And simply, leadership is someone who is able to set kingdom agenda, kingdom goals, and get people to follow. If you have the gift of leadership, remember what I said. All the more, you need to make sure that you nurture the spirit fruit. If you're a gifted leader, there's enormous responsibility on you to make sure that you are a person of character. And then there's administration. Literally, the word helmsman. On a ship, the helmsman is the person who steered, not the captain. Do you know that? On a ship, it's not the captain who steered, it's the helmsman. The captain says, that's where we're going to go. Leader. The helmsman is someone who says, how do we either get there? Let's chart the course. Where's the wind at? And what's the compass say? Administration. Third, wisdom. It's a gift of discernment, but it's not for individuals. It's for situations. People with the gift of wisdom are able to go into situations, circumstances, and get discernment and clarity about what to do in situations and not just in people's lives. And then lastly, gift of faith. It's the ability to set kingdom goals, 
with tremendous confidence. We're not talking about saving faith here. We're talking about a person with tremendous optimism based on the truth of the kingdom. It's the person who says, God has called us to do that, and we really can. Let's go together as a church. All those gifts that I mentioned, do you realize that if every single one of us who are given diversity gifts were to exercise them, it's potential in some way to meet every spiritual, psychological, social, physical need in our city. If you and I, embracing our gifts, were to exercise them, do you realize, church, think with me, do you realize that God intended that in some way, not completely, because that's when the kingdom is fulfilled, in some way God has given us ability, you, me, all of us, to meet spiritual psychological, social, and physical needs in this city in such a way that people will experience a glimpse of the kingdom. I mean, I don't know what could give us, you and me, a greater sense of significance. Is that every single one of us, as a tangible, visible expression of Christ, God deposits multiple gifts. So how do you discover them? It'll take me one minute. The Bible doesn't tell you how. Sorry, I know you waited like 50 minutes for this. The Bible says this. It goes, you have a gift? Serve. New Testament goes, you have a gift? Serve. Which is crazy to me because we live in a culture of, you know, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and all other dumb grams and stuff. Anyway. I'm not knocking those things. I think those are very valuable. Thank you very much. I've been very helped by all of them. But we live in a world of diagnostic tools where we break down these things into a thousand questions and we go, how do I scientifically narrow down to a The Bible doesn't tell you to do that. The Bible simply goes, you have gifts? Serve. Do you know why this is important? Do you know why this is important? It's important because many of us are sitting here and potentially not doing anything to impact the kingdom. We're sitting going, I don't know what my gifts are. And until I find out what my gifts are, you know, I can't. And the Bible's going, ah, that's not what I intended. What I intended is figure out where's the need, where can I serve, where's their brokenness. And as you serve, God says the Holy Spirit will stir your heart so you could discover what your gifts are are. So the answer to the New Testament is serve. Find a need. Go do it. Do as many things as possible because as you do, and as Peter taught about all these different gifts, and as you pick up that packet and you read it, you realize, I think I have gift of administration and service and exhortation. How do I, how do you know? Well, because I've served in small groups. I, I was hospitable. I served in open arms. And I served in the community center. I served in all the... And as I began to do them, Peter, God began to stir my heart. And I realized, what? whoa. That's how you discover what your gifts are. I said, see, come on up. Let me finish with this. Let me finish with this. For those of you... Give me one minute. Give me one minute. For those of you that are sitting here this morning, and I need to speak directly to you, and I didn't do it with the 9 o'clock service, because... Uh, I wasn't supposed to, but I'm going to do it here. There are, there are people in here who are saying this. They're going, Peter, but I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. 
man, I came from that church and I served for like 10 years, man. And I'm so tired. Can I just be here and can I just be fed? Which I'm going, absolutely. We just want you to come, be healed, be restored. One of the things that we love is hearing people who came to our church and were healed and restored here. That's one of our church's ministry. I believe that, by the way, anybody here experienced that? You came to this church, experienced healing and restoration? I think that is our gift, part of our gift. But here's the thing. At some point, if you sit there and go, oh, I'm too tired, I don't want to exercise. You're going to be tired forever. At some point, at some point, not now, but at some point, you got to get up and go, okay, I got to, I, I got to, uh. Some of us are like, my arm's in a sling. It's broken. I'm broken, and I need healing. And we go, come and be healed and be restored. Put that arm in that sling. Don't do any exercise. Just you need to be. But at some point, you need to get that arm off of your sling, and you need to begin to exercise it. Otherwise, it atrophies and dies. Output. Giving of yourself for the kingdom mission is just as important as input. At some point, when you hear the call of God, a vocation, you have to go, okay, Lord, I think I'm ready. Where can I serve? Where is the need? And with the body coming and affirming you, you respond to that call. Pray with me, church. As I did this morning, I'm just going to just give a moment of just silence for you to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, you see? Because I want you to, I want you to listen. I believe that the Holy Spirit, not me, the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you has a word for you as you sit here and listen to this thing this morning. Some of you, the word might be, Kingdom assignments don't correlate sometimes with career advancement. Your kingdom assignment means being faithful to his call, not what your peers or your company or someone's selling you. For some of you, it's what I just talked about. You've been waiting to go, when should I, when should I, when should I, when should I? Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, now is the time to get that arm out of that sling. Now is the time to get up from your couch time to for some of you it's realizing man you are spiritually just in the pits and make no mistake about it our father loves you he is for you that will never change but you've been so relying on your talents and your gift for so long and you fooled yourself into thinking hey I don't have to address my heart I don't have to address my soul yes you do yes you do so today today maybe is the time where you go I God I'm not doing well I'm not where I need to be and I'm not gonna lie about it or live in denial about it Today I begin the journey of getting this thing right with you. No more excuses. What is God saying? Will you listen to his voice and the worship team will lead us in this final song.